0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Feedback Loop, Sino Global's podcast, and I'm your host, Hans. On the Feedback Loop, we talk with some of the most interesting people in the space. As the industry is evolving rapidly, we want to keep our audience cognizant and aware of the most fascinating developments in the blockchain and cryptocurrency industry. So we're here today with Pankaj Balani, the CEO of Delta Exchange, where we'll be talking about the crypto derivative markets and the potential growth and impact it may have on the crypto space. Also, we want to have a deep dive into the Indian markets, as it's one of the fast-growing markets for crypto derivatives. So nothing on this show should be considered as financial advice. It is solely meant for informational and educational purposes. So without further ado, let's start with the podcast. Hello, Pankaj. How are you doing today?
1: Hi, everyone. And hi. Hello, Hans. Um, you know, really glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Really looking forward to, you know, this conversation. And yeah, let's, uh, you know, let's jump into it.
0: Yeah, nice. Nice to have you here. Um, so before we deep dive into the crypto derivative markets, um, why don't you briefly introduce yourself? So who are you and what's your background and history?
1: Sure. So, uh, you know, I come I, um, I come from a derivatives background. I uh, have about uh, six to eight years of experience in derivatives prior to starting Delta. Um uh, So I'm an engineer by education, then went on to join uh, UBS Investment Bank in Hong Kong, worked on the derivative site, worked on uh, with, was very lucky to be working on one of the largest uh, derivatives just globally, Uh, traded with largest of hedge funds, worked in the entire Asian region, so covering Indian markets, uh, Hong Kong, Korea, Taiwan, uh, pretty much all of Southeast Asia. Uh, then worked with a hedge fund myself on the options side, and then uh, you know set up derivatives business for a London-based bank in India. Uh, so yeah, that's my background. I've spent good uh, amount of time in derivatives, and uh, mm-hmm. derivatives is not, not just my occupation; it's also my passion. So I've been very interested in uh, you know uh, how these products are designed. And coming from an engineering background, uh, an engineering and mathematics background, it's always uh, this is a space in finance, which is very exciting and uh, very fascinating. So, uh, quant finance, uh, structuring, all these are things that are really, uh, you know, that really be exciting. And then about two years back, I started Delta with two close friends of mine. Uh, one of them has a very similar background as I do, again, coming from finance, working with uh, City GIC and others, and uh, the, the third co-founder that we have. Uh, who looks after our technology, is, uh, uh, comes from a serial, serial entrepreneur, uh, started his first uh, company straight out of, out of college, became one of the very big food tech companies in India, and then worked with another well-known name. And then three of us started Delta. So we've been in business for about two years. We are a derivatives exchange. Uh, we have, uh, you know, over our... Uh, We've done a lot of innovation in this space. So we've brought uh, a bunch of new products to the market. We offer futures on Bitcoin. We offer futures on 50 plus altcoins. We offer options on Bitcoin, options on Ethereum, options on a bunch of other altcoins like BCH, LTC, XRP, Link, BNB. And these are products that are not available on any other exchange. We are uh, the only shop that is offering, you know, uh, options on uh, top altcoins. We've also done interest rate swaps. So again, they are, uh, you know, available only on Delta and we are the first exchange uh, in the cryptocurrency space to do any kind of interest rate swap, uh, you know, uh, and we, we, we provide an order book for that. So we've done interest rate swaps, we've done calendar spreads, we've done exotic options on Bitcoin and yeah, have done a lot of work on uh, unique and different kind of financial products. And that is uh, one very strong reasons why customers come to us because of our product differentiation.
0: Right, sounds very interesting. So more, I guess, from your personal background, like, um, what is your favorite story uh, during your journey from IIT to UBS to uh, Alara and as a crypto uh, crypto entrepreneur?
1: So my favorite story is, uh, of course, Delta and building Delta and, you know, being a part of it, because this is where, like I was saying earlier, right, I've truly been able to combine my, uh, you know, passion uh, with what uh, what I'm doing. And uh, when we talk about, uh, so like I said, we've done a lot of different kind of financial products, right? Uh, we've done interest swaps, calendar spreads and others. Now, these are standard products in the traditional market. But when we came to crypto, these products were non-existent. And it was like building uh, infrastructure. It was like laying infrastructure for the derivatives ecosystem. Uh, and that has been really exciting. So whatever I learned and did over a period <coughs> of you know uh, my education and after that, my work, uh, I've been able to kind of build that in this ecosystem and along with my team. And that is really rewarding. That is, you know, that is very rewarding uh, when you go out and build things, uh, uh, taking inspiration from other markets, taking inspiration from your prior experience and build out an ecosystem that people then use. So yeah, that has definitely been the the most exciting part. Other than that, I've always been fascinated. Um, I love financial markets and I've been very excited with the way uh, they behave. And there's always a new learning on a daily basis. So uh, markets in cryptos, the way they are evolving, the way they've built up and the way, you know, I I can look at these markets 12 years back and now, and I can see that there's been so much growth and so much maturity. And there is still so much that will come. So 12 months back, if you see premiums on futures markets, they were at times outrageous 7% on ethereum last year in june for one month mm-hmm. now it's it's still pretty high but it's seven percent for say one quarter uh it's going to come down to seven percent for half a year and then you know pretty much uh, uh vanish as more and more people come to the, these markets or normalize let's not use the word vanish so so, yeah, you see you see on a daily basis how things are evolving and you see on a daily basis how, you know, you see the growth of ecosystem in numbers. And that's pretty exciting.
0: Yeah. Um, I want to deep dive into the crypto derivative markets and its potential, like, uh, in a further section. But before we focus on crypto derivatives, like, I would like, like to spend some time like. in the Indian markets because... Uh, the indian markets is like a fast growing industry and i think there's a lot of potential especially uh when it comes to derivative markets right um but just to have like a brief understanding of the indian markets because like there was uh, a big impact or fallout of 2016 demonetization policy on the indian economy so could you uh, briefly tap into that and how this could affect the crypto industry
1: so Indian market, when we talk about Indian market uh, and Indian crypto market, uh, there is a lot of idiosyncrasy in the market. And, uh, you know, in this, uh, 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 there's a lot of idiosyncratic behavior that this market has. And there's been a whole lot of confusion of whether Bitcoin is legal in India or whether Bitcoin is illegal in India and things like that. Uh, Let me touch upon these angles. Like you said, demonetization first, then about uh, you know the legality of the crypto, and what what was the Supreme Court decision earlier this year, and what do we have in store going forward? So yeah. let's touch demonetization first. You know, happened in twenty sixteen November, right? Now that was the time when Indian government came out and said that look, uh, all the currency notes in circulation have to be brought brought back to the to the banks or to the banking system, and they will issue fresh currency notes for the entire country. And that's a massive exercise when you're talking about country like India. I mean, a huge geography, uh, one of the world's, I mean, billion and a 200 million people. So that's a very big scale exercise that you're talking about, all happening in a very short period of time. And that was very negative for a lot of people who were holding uh, their savings or their you know, uh, value in cash, because essentially... Essentially, it was supposed to be a strike on black money. Uh, but yeah, it also kind of penalized people who were holding, uh, you know, assets in cash. Because then they had mm-hmm. to, they had a very small period of time to go to the bank and get fresh, uh, you know, uh, bank notes. And there was not enough bank notes back then. So that time, there was some flow towards the uh, to, that that is the time when you know people started to see Bitcoin as uh, you know uh, a, some kind of an asset that is not impacted by decisions of central bank, although on a very small mm-hmm. scale because the penetration of Bitcoin in India even today is is very very small, almost uh, almost negligible. To be honest, the only time when you hear about Bitcoin in uh, in you know the In the media, or only time when you hear about Bitcoin from people who are not in the industry, that is when the market is rallying. Other than that, you don't hear about it so much. So it's still a very small industry in India. Uh, So yes, but that is, you know, that is the first time when there was some impact. Right. Then in 2017, when the bull run happened, in that bull run, there was a... there was quite a big participation and a lot of people started to come and join the markets because the price was going uh, you know price was going up so rapidly so that is again one time when there was a lot of activity and in april of 2018 the central bank of india uh, came out and said that look banks cannot cater to companies that are dealing in cryptocurrencies So if you're a company that is in the cryptocurrency space, you cannot get banking services. Now, that's a big problem for you as a crypto company, because how are you going to pay your employees? How are you going to hold your assets? How will you uh, finance? How will you enable purchase of Bitcoin? How will you run your other expenses and so on? If you don't have a bank account, it's very difficult to run a company, right? So and if banks are not allowed to deal with you, then you don't have a bank account. So, so essentially, this was an indirect way by the Indian central bank to kind of, you know, put brakes or cool down the the Indian crypto market. And because of this, the entire Indian crypto industry, you know, uh, that was already reeling under the shocks of Bitcoin falling and Bitcoin bear market had started way back, uh, you know, back in 2018, January. So, the entire industry, you know, got decimated. And that was pretty negative. But you have to understand why did the central bank do this? And yes, it was negative for the industry. But so India is not a freely floating currency. It's a partially pegged currency. And the Indian central bank, or the RBI, looks to manage this currency. So there is capital controls on how much money can go out of, can leave the Indian borders and how much FX can come in and so on. So so there is a transaction limit on every individual. and banks and the central bank together have laid out a very elaborate infrastructure to you know uh, to make sure that these limits are under control and people don't break these limits uh, but with bitcoin bad actors uh, can break these limits and that was one of the concerns of the central bank because you can buy a bunch of cryptocurrency and move it outside of india and then convert it back uh, um, you know and that was something That was the bigger worry of uh, the Indian Central Bank. So in order to avoid that, uh, RBI did this. But RBI's intention was never to kind of kill the industry as such. So if you listen to the interviews and others that RBI officials have had, they have said that, look, if people trade crypto with another crypto, we don't have a problem. Or if people even want to trade crypto with cash, we, we don't have a problem. Right. So this idea that Bitcoin was illegal in India at some point is totally wrong. Bitcoin mm-hmm. is not illegal in India. And RBI is not, it's a regulator for the banks. It's not a lawmaking body in India, right? It gives right. guidance to the banks like any other central bank. It doesn't enact laws which are binding on the common people. So so yeah, but yeah, media, you know, spoke about it as if Bitcoin was illegal in India. And Mm -hmm. that kind of, you know, started to, uh, for a common man, Bitcoin for a long period of time, between 2018, say May, and till 2019, became something that they did not want to touch. So, again, that was a big issue, right? So,
0: I guess, like, uh, if I'm not mistaken, India is also moving towards like a semi-cashless society, right? So, I think, like, similar to what China is doing now, and like considering the regulatory developments and also uh with their goal to become like a cash flow society do you think that india like how do you expect this to play out in the future maybe like this year or next year and for instance do you think that as a result the indian government will come up with their own uh like national digital currencies similar to what china is doing now with DCEP?
1: So you are absolutely right. Indian government wants to go more and more towards a cashless society. And essentially, demonetization was also done. One of the reasons to do demonetization was that, okay, we anyways want to go towards much lesser cash, uh, you know, in the society, or we want to move towards a cashless society. So there is a strategic push to do that. And just, yes, uh, you know, if you see the payments infrastructure in India, it's really good. Like you can pay from WhatsApp, you can pay from a bunch of other, you know, mobile apps, the money transfer happens instantaneously. So if I send INR or the Indian currency to someone from my bank account to another, it is almost received instantaneously. Uh, I can go to an ATM, you know, use my thumb and do a transaction. There's a the payments infrastructure in India is quite advanced, and I think it's quite advanced in China as well. Uh, and India is also following the footsteps of China in terms of bringing its own digital currency. So even so, there are some draft papers and others that have been floated, which have come out in mm-hmm. public, and there they talk about how we should, you know, be looking to. Um, have our own digital currency and how we a digital rupee can you know further uh, push the indian government's uh, push towards the indian government strategic objective of a cashless society and you have to understand that you know once china is doing something then in the asian region india does not want to get left behind right,
0: right.
1: On a strategic front we want to be pretty important in the in the southeast asian region in, and In that regard, you know, government is actually quite pro-crypto. So they want to come up with their own digital currency. They want to have a share of the blockchain industry. So they want to be very aggressive when it comes to, uh, you know, because blockchain, when it grows as an industry, it's going to generate a lot of revenue, right? Uh, right? A lot of companies are going to move towards it. It's like the software industry in the 90s when software industry grew uh, every company started to migrate towards digitization and erps and crms and so much of work happened and india benefited hugely from that by developing that software so it's one of the same themes like they don't want to miss out on it if the world starts to go towards blockchain if the world starts to do implementations on blockchain and then every comp- company starts to do something on blockchain then india wants to be you know, building those solutions for them. So in that regard, government is also quite aware of that and very pro that, that this is a sector that can help them grow GDP. This is a sector that can, you know, help them grow economy. So so they're quite pro-blockchain in that regard. They're quite pro, you know, central bank digital currency in that regard. They don't seem to be very opposing of uh, the idea of having Bitcoin as such because whatever has come out, Mm -hmm. even from central bank, is only towards capital control, and that can be right. solved, right? So, yeah. so in that regard, yes, Indian government does not seem to have any particular negative uh, connotation towards Bitcoin as such.
0: Yeah, that's actually a very interesting uh, take. And also, I think yeah, like what's happening now around the globe, like many countries are coming up with their own uh, digital currencies, right? um so like sweden has e yeah. and also china with dcp and like europe uh so christine Lagarde, um mentioned that they're also exploring the possibilities of um having their own uh european like digital currency so i think mm, definitely like what you said um nobody wants to miss out this opportunity because it brings a lot of benefits for them right uh also financially
1: Absolutely. And look, if there is a certain part of business that starts to happen over digital currencies, now you want to be as a country, you want to be early in it and try to get a larger share of your, uh, you know, that economy, because that is where the growth is going to come from, right? And even if it doesn't come, then you don't get, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. A lot of things are promising that don't grow. But if it does grow and become significant, and if you're early, then it will pay a very big dividends. And governments are quite aware of that, so I I think in the next year, year and a half, or you know, on a stri- like or in the next five years, we are going to see a lot of activity on the uh, you know central bank digital currency side, on companies moving towards blockchain side, and governments wanting a part of that business. And like I was saying about India, right? On face, you would think like Indian government is really it's not pro Bitcoin or not pro crypto. On the ground, they have their concerns about things like capital controls and others, yes, but on the ground, they are not you know particularly opposing to the idea, or with their efforts that we see on the ground, it doesn't look like that
0: right, right, well, very interesting, very interesting um so Kind of like our understanding is that the Indian market can be quite fragmented, right? So due to uh, differences between regions, culture, religion, etc. So even like when, for instance, like China, right? So China in crypto in China is completely different than the West. So um, it basically has its own markets, like the culture, everything around it um, is what makes China a very difficult market for um outsiders as foreigners so what's that situation like in india like for a crypto uh, entrepreneur that wants to tackle the indian markets without having i guess the indian knowledge uh like what's the process is it like a very tough market for outsiders to tap into or uh yeah
1: so indian market like i was saying has a lot of you know idiosyncrasies and it's not that is easy for outsiders to capture for example when you are going after the indian market the first thought is should we you know should we do a vernacular strategy should we go after hindi and you know should we make our website in hindi and should we start to deal with uh, uh, <clears throat> you know start to provide support pages in hindi now in india what you realize is that there is a different language in every state so if you want to go after if your strategy is language then you'll have to probably do it in 30 languages right because every state has a different yeah. language right i mean uh, right for example south india there is four big states uh, and all of them have you know the same script but very different you know uh, spoken language uh, yeah, yeah, in yeah. north india you will see again you yes the middle or the central of india speaks hindi but it's very different in... In the West, it's very different in the, in the East. Uh, it's very different in the, in the South. It's totally different in the South, to be honest. So, you know, it's not that straightforward. And, you know, again, just as China, there's a lot of cultural things that, you know, people have a certain mindset, people have a certain risk appetite, people like certain kind of things. And you have to take them into account because for example in china you know people are a lot more speculative right? so we we see that in the, in the stock markets as well indian mindset is not that like you would know india is one of the largest uh, you know uh, uh, participants in the gold economy right so indian mindset is of savings indian mindset is a lot about structured investments so even if you see the indian stock market uh, it does not have that much you know mutual funds are pretty pretty big part of the indian um, stock market uh, you know contribution and structured investment plans where people invest something every month are really popular whereas uh, in china it's a lot more about participating in the momentum right indian indian demographic does not really behave like that so so very different approaches uh, in and very unique approaches to each of these markets and so so you have to understand india before you start to you know um, sell products Mm. here and let me you know give you more uh, color on this so in about in about 2012 or 2013 i think the total volume of indian stock market was less than how much apple traded in a single day so Daily volume of Indian stock market was less than how much Apple was trading. Uh, and you know, up this was about six to eight years back. So Indian spot trading can be really small, right? But at the same time, if you see the Indian derivatives market, India is the one of the largest derivatives market globally. So NSE of India, which is the National Stock Exchange of India, beat CME uh, last year. In you know 2020 to become the largest derivatives market in the world, Uh, this is this calculation is always done on number of contracts. So there was an article in Bloomberg in Jan 2020 last year that NSE is now the largest exchange uh, globally in terms of derivatives trading. Uh, India trades about 300 or 400 billion derivatives uh, billion dollars worth of notional in derivatives on a daily basis, and about 45 percent of that comes from retail. So, mm-hmm. huge participation in the derivatives market, right? About
0: right,
1: 40%, right. 40% of it comes from proprietary. Proprietary is basically uh, two guys opening up a shop and doing some trading or one person ro- running discretionary trading, or few people running a small, you know, proprietary strategy uh, fund or something like that. A lot of these... One percent, two percent shops exist in India where people, you know, do a lot of con trading. Con trading has been really popular in India in the last uh, ten years, in uh, uh, in the derivatives side, uh, because again, this is a this, this is a country where there's a lot of engineers. This is a country where people are good with technology and software, and the younger lot, uh, a lot of them are, uh, you know, know how to program. So they essentially. Right. Uh, you know, write a piece of code on their own and start to trade derivatives in the market. and then there are companies that mm. have come up which help you do that. like all the you know API packages are simplified for you and given to you so that even if you know a little bit of programming, you can easily develop a strategy and right. that has helped the Indian derivatives market become so big. So look at the contrast here. Mm-hmm. The spot market is not so significant, but the derivatives market is huge. Right, so again, a very unique kind of a behavior, and Indian derivatives market. So it started in two thousand and one, and NSC of India is a very, you know, it's one of a very very good exchanges, and they started to bring single stock futures. So they gave futures on the broader market, the index, and alongside they gave futures on a bunch of other coin, uh, stocks. Uh, India has futures on about 200 to 300 stocks. And because this futures market was so good, the Indian stock borrow and lending market never really developed. In a traditional market, you see that, the or in a, in a grown developed market, you would see that stock lending and borrow is a very big market. But in India, that's not the case. It's all in all futures. And similarly in options. So single wow. stock options in India is a huge part of the Uh, you know, 300, 400 billion daily traded notion. People trade a lot in the single stock options. And, you know, when you look to take inspiration from this and bring it to crypto, so options on smaller coins, options on Bitcoin, options on Ethereum, options on BCH XRP link, they will be really popular in that kind of audience, right? Because they are already trading options on these things. If you see uh you know con trading strategies they will be really popular in india because you know again the diaspora is used to uh, these kind of things uh, trading in futures uh, or derivatives you know will be really popular here so so when we look at all this we we feel that and that's why i say india is going to be one of the very important markets in the crypto derivative space uh, right right and uh, we are still scratching the surface with this market. We are still in the induction phase within this market where a lot of people are being introduced to cryptos. But these people are already active in other asset classes. And, you know, when you yeah. see a trending market in crypto, that's just another market for them to go and attack. Right. right? right. So, we'll so, see a big the, Sorry, yeah, go on.
0: Yeah, but the current market, like, I think, like, um like for foreigners i guess in the western markets we're not very um, aware of the crypto developments in india so we do get some uh updates from news uh sites but usually it's not that uh so we don't have a very i guess complete overview of the indian markets so i guess for the audience like mm, what's the existing markets uh, of crypto derivatives markets uh look like in india so uh I'm aware that uh Wazir X uh has launched a crypto exchange, right? But they are spot exchange, right? So in terms of like crypto derivatives, um how how bi- how big is how, how big is the market currently in India?
1: So a lot of crypto players in India are focusing only on the spot because Indian spot story is also crypto spot story is also quite attractive, right? Because if you think about it, it's a huge market that is, you know, has a still untapped, and uh, you know, a, a can can be pretty big and significant when it comes to adoption. Uh, so if you see the local players, the Wazirx, uh, which is which was acquired by Binance, they don't have a derivatives offering, I believe. Point uh, right. D C X, which is another pre- player in the market, uh, has some kind of a derivatives offering, but again, uh, not very. Uh, elaborate and, you know, um, other exchanges like CoinSwitch or, uh, you know, the others that we have uh, here, ZepPay and others, they don't really have a derivatives offering. Uh, So, yeah, Indian market is is still, uh, we have a derivatives offering and we do only derivatives. And in that regard, we have a very, very good advantage uh, because this is a market that we understand. Uh, This is a market where we have worked in in the industry. So we know how, you know, what does the customer need? Uh, Customers also uh, find it easy to, you know, uh, because we can provide support in local languages, because we we are Indian, so we are quite available in the time zone and other things. So it's easy for the customer to kind of, uh, you know, uh, Trade on Delta to get attracted towards Delta, and uh, in that regard, we have a lot of advantage, uh, you know, to, towards the Indian market. So our product offering is also quite unique, right? And the way we are building our product more and more is keeping the is after keeping the Indian audience in mind, and that is again one of the reasons why you know Indian customers start to get attracted towards us. Uh, and yep. yeah so we yep. we, we yep. find ourselves beautifully positioned to take advantage of this market i i would say but yep. most beautifully positioned of all derivative exchanges out there globally
0: right um so yeah because we're not talking about like derivative markets right so um like could you briefly or could you explain why the drift markets is so uh important for the the growth of crypto uh, or maybe the economic markets um, and then maybe like give a brief uh, comparison between the drifted markets for traditional finance versus crypto. So what's what's the potential growth for crypto markets?
1: Yeah. So if you see derivatives, right, the real use case of derivatives is in hedging. So they help mm-hmm, you protect mm-hmm. against downside moves in price, and you know, and uh, against. Unpre- unexpected volatility in the market so essentially hedge fund managers or you know mutual fund managers or portfolio managers let's call them in general portfolio managers use derivatives to protect themselves companies use derivatives to protect themselves against adverse price movements so you know if you if you we often say in crypto right that Market will grow big when institutions come in, when insurance companies come in, when a lot of other, you know, uh, uh, people who do investments in the traditional markets, when they come towards crypto markets, that is when the market will grow. And that is true. Market grows with participation. Right. So more participation means more growth. But think of it from the other point of view. If you have a big portfolio manager coming in and deploying a bunch of capital in crypto markets, let's say a serious capital uh, in crypto markets, they will need some kind of an instrument to protect their portfolio against an unprecedented or unexpected event, right? Against a downside. So if Bitcoin is down 10% on a day, and if you hold... You know uh, and of the broader crypto market is let's say down at 10 percent in a day and if your portfolio is down 10-15 percent in a day you have a big problem because you don't take that kind of a drawdown so when you're managing money professionally you have to worry a lot about how much can things come down because your clients will not yes everybody likes it when things go up but to go up you have to come down at times and you know volatility cuts both ways And on those days, you will need to protect your capital, even if that means sacrificing some of the gains, because uh, that will give you a lot more stable profile in your return, which will mean that for passive investors, that's a much more, you know, uh, that's a much easy uh, asset class to trust or a much easy portfolio allocation in their own portfolio to. So, a professional money manager cannot, a portfolio manager cannot go to a client, their client and say that this quarter I am down by 40% and, you know, because market is down so much. Uh, Yes, they will have to say that at times when there's a broader correction and all. But, yeah, that cannot be the general volatility. Mm -hmm. And that is where derivatives come in. That's where they will need to buy, put option to protect their portfolio or that is where they will need to hedge their portfolio when the volatility is high and you know they, so they will need a futures contract or imagine if you are doing business with someone like, let's say you are doing business with someone you are a company and you are doing business with someone in a in a different country uh, you have you carry the fx risk now if you are doing business with someone over a smart contract you are carrying ethereum risk but ethereum right. move 10 20% in a day so you are the amount of money that you have to pay or your liability can go up by 10 20% in a day and that is something that you know companies won't like because it's very difficult to manage so again yeah. you really want ethereum smart contracts to become successful you will have to figure out a way to have a very high quality derivative market so that people can hedge themselves and lock their funds in the smart contract let's say let's say let's take the example of uniswap mm-hmm. i believe that I can make a lot of money by contributing to the Ether dollar pool or Uniswap, uh, but I only have dollars. I don't have the. I only have Tether. I don't have Ethereum. So what I do is I split my capital into two. I buy some Ether, uh, and then I contribute to the pool. But I'm exposed to the risk of Ether. Right. So in order to avoid that risk, I can go and short a future somewhere.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: And whatever gains I have on my Ethereum or losses will be equally offset by my futures position. Or I can yeah. buy some Ethereum and I can buy a protection on Ether. That if Ether falls by this much amount, then I'm am protected. And then I can freely contribute to these liquidity pools, right? So yeah. and that is what you want. You want more and more people to come and do that. So that's yeah. not efficient. So Yeah, to- I, I f- yeah.
0: I think it's like insurance, right? Like a life insurance. Like you protect yourself from I guess, like uh, major unexpected events and you can mitigate the risk.
1: Yeah, so it is. And, you know, uh, I, I would often, I often say that one of the f- easiest form of derivatives available in the real life for us to see is life insurance or car insurance. <laughs> right? It's a right. option on yourself. So, if you you are not there, the money kicks in, and if you are there then you are you don't mind paying a little bit of premium so
0: right you know,
1: so it's a put on right. on yourself you're buying you know you're you're buying a put on bitcoin similarly you can buy a put on yourself and uh, life insurance is nothing but that and you renew it every year or you know whatever your term insurance ter- policy is so so yeah, it is exactly like insurance and insurance is in fact an option and insurance companies are one of the biggest also you know bigger players in the options market in traditional markets and uh, uh, so so that's another very easy way to understand derivatives and then you can see that there are so many use cases of these things in the economy right if you want if you want to have an asset class become a significant asset class where money managers are allocating their capital then you have to have very strong liquid and big derivatives market. And so derivatives is something that you cannot avoid. It's a must for the ecosystem growth. And it's actually for ecosystem because when a new person comes in, they know that they have these tools available to hedge themselves. Now, let's look at how big these markets can be. So if you look at traditional markets, the size of a derivative market is about five to eight times the size of the underlying spot market. So Mm -hmm. equities is about seventy-five trillion outstanding. Mm -hmm. derivatives on top of equity markets globally is about six hundred trillion, and these are numbers from Bank of International Settlements uh, data in 2019, I think. So so look at a factor of the derivatives markets are about eight times bigger than the underlying spot markets, right? Similarly, if you look at uh, daily FX volumes daily fx spot trading is about 1.2 trillion but daily fx derivatives trading is about 4 trillion and more so that's again a factor of 3 there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at you know any other asset class it's similar uh, i've looked at the data for gold as well again derivatives are pretty big on gold uh, sure. and if you look at crypto that's not the case as of yet so crypto spot market uh, You know, trades uh, uh, now it started to come up, but a couple of months back, crypto spot market and crypto derivatives markets were at parity. Mm -hmm. The spot market trades 20 billion a day, derivatives were also trading about 20 billion a day. And that is where you know you see the structural growth that will come in these markets. So, something that four to five to eight times is just one times. And if you go back to 2019, it was not even that. It was less than a fraction. And no. if you if you, if you you go back to 2018 or 17, you would see that spot was trading 10-15 billion a day, but derivatives were trading less than a billion dollars, or less than one-tenth. So that is where the structural growth has come in already, but the bigger chunk of this growth is still out there and it will come in, uh, in the years to come. And if you further break it down, you will see that in the crypto derivatives market that we have currently, you know, Bitcoin perpetual swaps has a big share, Bitcoin options have a big share, but other coins are not represented as much, right? So right. Futures contracted, uh, contracts are not represented as much. Ethereum yeah. options are not represented as much. So this this growth is also lopsided. It is heavy on Bitcoin perpetual swaps. It is heavy on Bitcoin options. And look at it. Look at it like this, right? Twenty nineteen, everybody was talking about Bitcoin perpetual swap. That product was growing. Twenty twenty, middle of twenty twenty, and the second half of twenty twenty, everybody started to talk about Bitcoin options, and that segment was growing. And we mm-hmm, mm. these themes continue. That in twenty twenty one, people will be talking a lot about you know altcoin options. In, yeah. Going forward, people will be talking a lot more about how. Activity has grown in Ethereum futures and Ripple futures and you know yeah. top five coin futures, the index yeah. futures. For example, people have come up with DeFi indices. We have yeah. DeFi index. So if you don't True. if you want to participate in DeFi, then don't have to buy all the coins. Just buy right. a single product. Yeah. A lot of these will start to grow. And that is where the growth is going to come from. In the pie, yeah. it will look like this that Bitcoin will have the same share on spot as on derivatives. So if Bitcoin spot share is about 60, 65%, yes, you can be a little more aggressive on the derivative side, but maybe 70, 75, 80%. There's a, still a big chunk that has to be filled by other coins and you know, particularly coins like Ethereum, which are building their own economy out there. And the other smaller coins that you want, you, know, you think people will have in their portfolios because the hedging activity will start to so yep. huge growth that is going to come in, in the derivative space and this lopsidedness is going to, you know, start to normalize.
0: Yeah, we have really seen like a surge in, I guess, the demand for uh DeFi, um like the financial solutions. Like I think derivatives are uh, playing a big part in it. And especially now with um so the optimism uh, so optimistic roll-ups and uh, also upcoming ZK roll-ups. So basically making Ethereum more scalable. So I guess that will have like a very big positive impact for um, derivative uh, products uh, like DYDX, Opium, all those kind of DeFi um, products that provide like derivative services. And also on top of that, we have also, so we're planning to see CME features, right? For Ethereum coming in February. Yeah. So I think like from different angles, it shows that the demand for derivatives and options are like growing and possibly it will like explode in the upcoming few years. Yeah. So like, I guess for the, with the CME features, I think that will also like really have a positive impact for the entire derivative market, right? So it seems like very promising.
1: Yes. Yes. And if you see uh cme introduced futures on bitcoin in 2017 right and uh, since then those mm-hmm. bitcoin futures have grown quite a bit and now they are coming and in introducing ethereum futures so this is again what i was saying in the last point right that when growth happens it happens sector wise so first there is bitcoin then there is ethereum then there is more that will come then there is probably sectors that will come so uh when you when you have ethereum futures in on CME, you will see a lot of people who would, uh, you know, a lot of US fund managers or other people who trade on CME uh, will start to participate in those. So, okay, one more, you know, uh, thing here. There is a lot of fund managers or hedge fund managers in the US that cannot buy Bitcoin directly, right? Because they are not set up with a broker from whom they can buy Bitcoin so if you if you deal with top 5 brokers if you are a fund hedge fund and if you deal with top 5 brokers in the country uh, so you would probably be dealing with j p morgan upss goldman sachs and others and if you want to buy a bitcoin and none of them is selling you bitcoin then what do you do you go to cme and buy a futures contract right you and that is why people are happy to pay 44% margin on cme futures and if you see cme futures they are not really meant for retail. Their contract size is quite big. Last time I checked, their contract size was a couple of Bitcoins. And their price movement, like one tick, is also $5. So it's, again, quite big. So these are meant for people who are participating in a... Uh, in, in the. These are mainly meant for institutions. These are not so much meant for retail. And what we saw in, to, in the first quarter and in the second quarter of 2020 was that a lot of these hedge fund managers would go to CME and buy the CME futures instead of buying Bitcoin spot, because A, they were not set up with other people to buy the spot and B, it was, you know, it was very easy for them to go in and out of CME futures. So... That is what actually starts to drive premium on CME futures as well. And that drives premium across the globe on all Bitcoin futures. And that creates opportunities for other people to short the future and buy the spot. If you take your fiat, you buy Bitcoin and you sell Bitcoin future, you can make about 20% per annum doing just this. So you can make 20% on your fiat by, you know, just... Buying Bitcoin spot and selling Bitcoin future and holding the position. And, you know, you have to do it four times a year. So uh, we will start to see similar activity in Ethereum, you know, because Ethereum will be available on CME. A lot of these people who want to contribute or rather participate in the growth of Ethereum, they will have an access now. And we are going to see a lot more, you know, I'm pretty bullish on Ethereum for this, uh, you know, one reason as well, because it will open doors for people to participate in, the, in Ethereum. Uh, those who cannot do it right now or cannot do it, you know, because of lack of instruments. And, sure, sure. You know, going back to what I was saying earlier, India. Indian, India is a very big cash and carry market. Uh, essentially, Remember, I was saying that Indian stock market uh, did a very good job by opening futures on a lot of these stocks, single stocks. So way back in 2000 to 2007, when there was this global liquidity rally, a lot of, and India was, you know, just uh, growing much more rapidly. A lot of these hedge funds who wanted to join the Indian or participate in the Indian uh, stock market rally, they would go to a proprietary desk in Hong Kong and tell them that, look, I want to buy certain Indian stock. So this uh, this investment bank would basically give them participation in futures through a P note or a participatory note. So essentially, instead of buying this Indian stock, they would buy futures on Indian stock. So this is the same thing that is happening in crypto currently. There are funds that cannot buy Bitcoin directly. So instead of buying Bitcoin, they buy Bitcoin futures and they drive the premium on Bitcoin futures. Similarly, we saw that way back, 15 years back uh, in India, people were driving premium on Indian stock futures over the Indian spot market because they were were buying in futures because they could not directly access the Indian spot market. And that premium essentially created opportunities for local traders to buy the stock and sell the stock future, right? Right. And built billion dollars companies just doing that. So, Indian cash and carry market is pretty big, and that is why I'm wow. so bullish on Indian yeah. participation in the cryptocurrency derivatives market. Because these people have made a lot of money doing cash and carry in stocks, and Bitcoin is again another opportunity for them to do cash and carry. Yeah, right? yeah. Make better that... returns on your spot.
0: Yeah, to me it seems that Indian market. I think it's really like what you said. We just like scratch the surface. So I think india will play like a key role in the upcoming few years uh like even more so than today uh especially like looking at crypto and of markets right yep. um yeah so uh, maybe this is now a good moment or like a good transition to um yeah to introduce like what you have been doing like with delta exchange and potentially like how delta can bridge the western and the indian markets or maybe like help expand the Indian market, uh, even grow further or uh, evolve further.
1: Yeah. So, so like I was saying earlier, right? That the you know derivatives market in crypto is really uh, small. So two years back, it was something that should have been five times the derivative, size of derivatives markets on cryptocurrencies. It was actually just about one fifth or one tenth so when we started delta we saw this you know we saw this uh, gap and that was it was very clear in in our mind uh, myself my co-founders and my early team that if if cryptocurrencies have to become a significant or a major asset class which we all thought that it will become and it is becoming then derivatives on cryptos have to grow there is no other option and you know two years back there was there was no good market for ethereum futures. there was no good market for any other any ethereum options. There was literally uh, very little on on options. Derit was there but implied volatility on derivative options way back in 2017 December was like 500 percent. So literally very expensive and it was quite clear in our mind that look this here here there is going to be a huge demand, an explosion. And here there's a great opportunity to go and build something where you can, you know, which will be exciting. You can build something uh, which is which is needed and you can leave your mark. So so that is why we started Delta. We started Delta because we, we saw the gap and we, we realized that uh, a lot of this, the work on the derivative side is yet to come and has to be done. People have to go out and build these solutions. So when we started, we started to offer... We started in August of 2018, and in December of 2018, we were offering BNB Futures. So we were the first uh, uh, derivatives exchange to offer BNB uh, Futures or Futures on any altcoin. And that became really popular, and that got us noticed. Then we started to launch Futures on a bunch of other altcoins. Uh, So by March or April of 2019, we were offering Futures on about 10-15 altcoins, And people started to, you know, take notice of us and come to us because products we were offering were not available anywhere else. And uh, that is something that we have continued till date and we plan to continue. We have brought a lot of innovation in the market. So we were the first exchange to start offering Bitcoin futures that were settled in stablecoin. We started to offer first Bitcoin, vanilla Bitcoin futures settled in stablecoin. Uh, way back in March, 2019. And after that, we launched futures on about 50 other uh, altcoins. Today, we do options on Bitcoin, Ethereum, and about, you know, like I said, a bunch of other altcoins, like uh, the top names, then the BNBs and the links. Uh, We do interest rate swaps. So we have done a fixed floating swap for people to switch their variable liability to a fixed liability. Uh, And we have done that on Bitcoin and we also did that on DAI because people were borrowing a lot lot of DAI from the MakerDAO and they were exposed to a variable rate, uh, the risk of rate changing very fast. So we offered a fixed floating swap on that. Uh, We've done calendar spreads for people to be able to trade one maturity Bitcoin future with another maturity Bitcoin future. So you can trade, you can buy June and sell March in a single contract. And you, that contract has portfolio margining built in. So you don't need to margin twice. You don't need to manage your position. You can just play the price and efficiency between these two futures positions. Uh, we've done exotic options on Bitcoin. Again, we are the first exchange and the only one to offer any kind of exotic options on Bitcoin. We have done a knockout call and a knockout put on Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And yep. when we spoke to our customers, they said that, look, we want to buy options on Bitcoin, but they're really expensive. And that is true. Yeah. They're quite expensive. A, Bitcoin is expensive, you know, big in size. Mm-hmm. Uh, B, uh, well, the implied volatility is quite rich. So so we designed something that was, uh, you know, cheaper for a retail customer to buy. So we designed, uh, you know, a, a knockout pol- call and a knockout put option, which was inspired by the callable bull bear, uh, you know, option uh, contracts that are traded in Hong Kong. So one of the contracts that is really popular in Hong Kong is oh, sorry. So one of the contracts that is really popular in Hong Kong is a callable bull bear contract, uh, and we designed our turbo calls and turbo puts using inspiration from those. So we've done a bunch of these things in the market in market that other derivative exchanges have not done uh yeah. and we've brought a lot of innovation in this space and like i said customers come to us because we offer things that others don't and we will continue to keep offering more and more uh, innovative products and we cater to audience from across the globe so we cater to audience from india that's one of our very strong markets but uh, people from you know round the globe can come in and trade on delta when i say round the globe of course countries like united states and other mm-hmm. countries are not allowed uh, a few other countries like sanctioned countries. Then there is some countries that have uh, you know restrictions on cryptocurrencies. Those are not allowed. But uh, uh, the way other derivative exchanges trade uh, cater to you know uh, different parts in Europe and in Asia, we also do so. Uh, so yes we are an indian exchange we in the sense that we have a strong focus in this market but yeah we get customers from uh, from europe we get customers from asia and uh, you know we are looking forward to very strong growth in those markets as well
0: yeah it seems that you guys have a very i guess clear and also unique strategy to dominate uh, i guess both the indian and the western world uh, so the market so i think yeah it's Pretty interesting to hear your story, uh, and also like how you guys started and your like your history and um, how you guys have uh, achieved the things you achieve uh, up all the way up to uh, until today. So that's I guess a very interesting development. Yep. Um, I guess uh, considering the time, maybe like I guess a final question. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, considering the fact that DeFi is now also booming, like how do we see this? uh evolve like uh for instance like uh cefi with DeFi. do you think uh at some point like with considering derivatives right do you think this will uh clash at a certain point or do you think that uh we can have CDFI, so uh that both like both centralized and decentralized can go hand in hand how do you see this uh plan out in the upcoming few years for derivative markets
1: so I like the fact that you said, uh, you know, let's go to the last question. And then the, this question is about DeFi. And like t- in today's time, nothing ends without, no discussion on crypto is complete without DeFi, right? So <laughs> <laughs> talk about DeFi. And that is good. That is good in a way. I mean, DeFi is a very essential part of the ecosystem, right? And it will keep, keep growing and continue to grow. I don't see DeFi and CFi as being in conflict with one another. I think, I think that, you know, they will cater to different use cases. So let me elaborate on, you know, why I believe so. So before, so Uniswap solves a certain problem. Let's talk about spot first. Now Uniswap solves a certain problem. It solves the problem of, uh, you know, making markets on, uh, let's say if you want to make a market on an illiquid coin, Uniswap is a very good place to do so or much better equipped to do so than any traditional market maker because one of the problems that a market maker has is how do you make markets for something which is very liquid and you know which is uh, you know very sparsely available and right. unless you dominate the inventory in that it's very difficult to make a market right uh, whereas in unisop with a certain set of uh, you know inventory allocated towards that market uh, that problem can be solved because it democratizes market making. Right? It gets inventory from yeah. a lot of people, it pulls them together, and now it can look right. to dominate the inventory. Right. So, this is a problem that centralized players are not very equipped to solve. And this is a problem even in traditional markets. And that is why you mm-hmm. stock markets and all have a very strict criteria or that if your stock is listed, you cannot own more than a certain percentage of it. For example, in India, I think, if your company is listed on the stock exchange, you cannot own more than 25% of it. It's the same in other countries as well. Uh, Right. right? Because otherwise, free price discovery is not possible. Uh, Mm -hmm. So this is a problem that was there in the crypto ecosystem. And, you know, people were looking to solve it by centralized market maker by paying them a lot of listing fee. So all the listing fee business that was going to centralized exchanges has now gone towards Uniswap, right? So that is value in itself. Then, if you wanted to buy a bunch of Ethereum, a lot of Ethereum, right? Or a lot of stablecoin or exchange a lot of stablecoin. Let's say I want to go from USDT to USDC for $1 million or say $25 million, right? It's easier to do that on Unisop or uh, you know, Curve Finance than do it on any other centralized exchange or do it via an OTC disk, uh, because I can do it at will, I can do it at my, you know, I can easily see the costs and everything, and I can do it in a single transaction. Similarly, if you want, if I want to buy a bunch of Ethereum, I can do that over uh, a, a smart contract much easily, like a Uniswap or a, you know, other decentralized platform. So a lot of business that was going to OTC desks on the spot side, I believe, would have migrated towards Uniswap, and there's, you know, cannibalization there. Now or Unisop has, you know, kind of eaten away into the market of OTC players. Now, but there is certain new things that that are not done very well on Unisop. For example, if you are doing a algo trading, if you're doing algo trading on a uh, coin like let's say BCH, and you are trading spot, you're not trading futures, and you're not trading futures maybe because you're, you know, you don't want leverage or maybe because funding is high or some, there can be a bunch of reasons for that. So let's say there is a premise that you are trading uh, a particular coin on uh, binance or any other spot market and you are doing so you know uh, very frequently and you are buying 20000 dollars worth of uh, worth of coin in and out and you are doing it say 100 times in a day so that if you do that kind of trading on uniswap you are your fee and slippage will be more than the profits that you are probably looking to make. Right? So, algo trading will not move to a decentralized platform so easily. That will remain on the centralized exchanges. Right? And uh, if you see the traditional markets, algo trading is already 65, 70, 75% of those markets. So, that share is also pretty big. And you know because of the fee because of the slippage on unisop it is good for you know very uh it is good for uh, you know when you're doing one trade in a day it's good for do- when you're doing a size it is good for when you're doing uh, infrequent trading but if you're trading frequently then you will end up paying a lot more cost and that is not sustainable right. I mean with a centralized right. exchange you can negotiate a better deal they can probably give you execution in one basis point or at times, you know, like we give very heavy discounts to our customers uh, because that brings us volumes. So so with centralized exchanges, you can do all those and make these algos, you know, if they make a couple of basis points, let's say they make 5-10 basis points uh, or, you know, one half a basis point per trade, that's also okay because you're trading too many times. And if your fees is very low, then you can do that. But yeah. on a decentralized exchange point, So this is the difference, right? Everything has a use case and not every use case can be completely substituted. So I don't think uh, decentralized exchanges will completely kill the centralized ones. Neither Mm -hmm. do I think that the centralized are equipped to solve every problem that decentralized is solving. Uh, So some things are solved better in a decentralized fashion and some things are solved better in a centralized And this is the theme that is going to play out in decentralized derivatives as well. So Mm -hmm. things like algo trading, things where latency is very important, things where, you know, uh, in traditional markets, we gun for a microsecond execution time. Uh, We are very far in the ecosystem from having microsecond transactions on Ethereum blockchain, right? And then also there's uh, transactions are broadcasted, positions are probably known. So there's a lot more other things that will come into play. So some in derivatives, there'll be cases that can be solved by decentralized players. For example, covered calls, you know, uh, 100% finance put writing activities and others. But other cases cannot be. And I think there'll be a good synergy uh, between both these, that both the forms will exist. Some players will solve some problems, some players will solve some other problems. Uh, Maybe we should not solve every problem uh, with the you know, uh, with the set. So so in that regard, it's yep. to have a synergy rather than you know uh, it's not about one kills another, it's about yeah. they 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 expand the market together, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, I guess uh, DeFi and CFI they can collaborate together uh, to I guess jointly improve the derivative markets, right? That's yeah. I guess that's uh, how we should summarize it.
1: Yeah. yeah. How, what I was saying, and you know, in that regard, uh, it's it's quite bullish. It's quite bullish for derivatives. It's quite bullish for DeFi. It's quite bullish for DeFi derivatives as well. In fact, we are mm-hmm. also exploring, and we are in quite early stages of looking to experiment with a few things on the DeFi side, like some problems that we have identified that we can solve in the uh, in the DeFi space. Uh, for example, can you solve for Ethereum gas free? using derivatives yes there is some implementation right. that can be done there we are exploring you know we are looking to do that uh, ethereum gas fee is a big problem uh, at least now so so there is there is a definite demand for that uh, it's not something that is very easy to market make for traditional market makers maybe something can be done uh, the way uniswap solved the problem of illiquid you know illiquid unknown coins and providing a bigger market for them uh, these problems can be solved on the DeFi space by market making pools and others much easier. So, so those are the use cases that we are also going after. We are not, we don't see them as uh, you know one versus another. We see them as a collaborative. Uh, this thing for the right,
0: right, right, right. Yeah, I think you explain it very well. Um, personally, I also do believe that, like what you said, like I guess there. Mm, both like defi c5 they have their pros and cons right so there's not like an ultimate or ultimate solution i think you have to find the balance between between the two right
1: yeah absolutely it has going to be a balance between
0: the two. yeah yeah clear clear uh all right thank you for joining the feedback loop today i think i really enjoyed the informative and insightful discussions like i really personally i learned a lot from you um, like do you perhaps have a final word or something you would like to share with us
1: I would uh, so first of all thank you for patiently listening to me I can No, no no, no. it was
0: very informative
1: <laughs> and uh, yeah uh, you know I would love for uh, the users to you know check out our website and you know uh, we call Delta Exchange it's very simple the website delta.exchange uh, check out the kind of things we are doing and you know come talk to us in our Telegram community uh, we are quite accessible. My handle is rather simple. At the rate Pankaj Balani. That's my first last mm-hmm. name. I, I'm sure Hans will give out uh, you know, the social media uh, handle yeah. in description. Yeah, we are very yeah. uh, come talk to us about derivatives, about markets, about crypto, anything you want to talk about, and very very accessible. We'd love to have a conversation.
0: No, thank you. Thank you.